All right, I didn't give any thought <coughs> to this, so I'm just going to talk. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No BS Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich, and let's cut the bullshit for this special David Bowie tribute. I'm with our producer, Suzanne Mayer. Suzanne, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Good. A little saddened by an artist that uh, had a big impact on both of our lives passing away. Yeah. My initial reaction when I when I first heard that news yesterday morning, the first thing that ran through my mind was he was the first. He was different. He was like the first person I can remember being like, hey, he's different, but he made different so cool. That's the only that's the only way I can sum I can sum him up is he made different so cool. And why he's significant to us here at the No Bullshit Marketing Show and why we want to do a separate special episode about David Bowie is a number of different things. We're going to sh follow the show's format, so this is sort of qualifying as the rant, and then we'll go through each of the segments. But he was a messaging artist, mm -hmm. a messaging guru, and that he understood what we talk about and our definition of marketing, and he understood about how you had to find out what the customers want and try to give it to them. If they aren't sure what they want, if they just want something different, then you give them something different. So he was able to change his personas before the phrase persona mm -hmm. was the catchphrase and buzzword that it is now. I have this sheet in front of me of uh, the David Bowie personas, and it has all these different images, and it has about 25 of them. I think seven or eight of them are the ones that are most memorable but when you go through, we'll go through those as we get into the, the segment a little bit more. But I want to start off with the first one, which is uh, bullshit. Our question is always, when have you seen bullshit in the workplace? So let's just repurpose that question and say, what is some of the bullshit that David Bowie fought against and was different about from our perspectives? And I'll just go first to give you some time to, to think about yours because this is totally ad-libbed here, this uh, episode. But... I think the thing that David Bowie did that fought from the regular bullshit was in a time when the music industry was in probably a, one of its weaker periods. You had the massive change of the 60s with the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, and then you had Woodstock. And then you hit the 70s where it kind of got regurgitated and the album oriented rock was playing the same songs, and then you had disco as a big uh, genre. He kind of came back and totally fought all of that. He wasn't going to be just the uh, you know, album-oriented rock, wasn't going to be Woodstock, and wasn't going to be pop, and wasn't going to be disco. So I think that was the first thing that he did to kind of fight some of the bullshit in the music industry that was going on. I think right to the end, he, I mean, his, that final move, his, the fact that he dropped an album on Friday, Th that to me is clear. Like this is a man who um, cl clearly an artist, clearly had one more thing he had to get out, and um, the fact that it's—I I don't know if you've listened to it at all. It's—I mean, it's amazing. It's just—it's yet another. He never did things the same. It was—he all—he was constantly reinventing himself and and pushing the envelope um, of music. 
and what I thought was always very cool about him was his he collaborated with artists some some a bit more commercial than others which I was on that that's the part that I always kind of was disappointed in namely the Mick Jagger um, dancing in the streets but overall his collaboration efforts were were genius I mean he 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 did great work with other people some of the memorable ones showing how he was a marketer and a messaging person being able to go cross-generationally the Bing Crosby Christmas song yes perfect and at that time when you saw David Bowie next to Bing Crosby and it was early years of uh, MTV and they're singing together and it just was such a contrast and then afterwards I remember this is so long ago but I can remember reading in Rolling Stone Bing Crosby there was no internet so you had to read publications and and uh, Bing Crosby talking about how what a fine young gentleman David Bowie was mm -hmm. and how much he enjoyed that one of the great all-time collaborations lyrically and the sound under pressure I mean, <gasps> pressure yeah. yeah so uh just unbelievable the lyrics to that song and the vocals mm -hmm. between freddie mercury and david bowie just incredible beautiful so from from a no bs guy where he saw bullshit in the marketplace was he was willing to change and willing to try to reach different audiences but let's touch on if we were showing the following the show's format when he was a bser and you brought up the oh, one I already that, brought it up. that I would bring up too and, and totally agree with. The, the one instance, being both of us being huge fans, the one instance when he was a total BSer is the Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger. Yeah. It was just like, it was so disappointingly commercial. Forced. Yeah. Yeah. Forced. I, you know, I, I don't even remember thinking that was even remotely cool at the time. No. Not at all. Yeah, I never, I just, it, it always rubbed me the wrong way. But he bounced back. He was fine. He did bounce he, back. He came back. So when we go through on our show, we always go, what's something you saw that was bullshit and when were you the bullshitter? Then we ask them about their career path. So let's take a look at the career path. So let me just go through some of the personas. You know, born named Davy Jones, and uh, he was born in uh, Bromley and... He was, I'm reading right from this, he's son of a waitress and a charity promoter. And he becomes uh, Ziggy Stardust, mm -hmm. which is probably one that's pretty much uh, maybe the one that he's most known for. And that was in 1972. So you had Ziggy. Yeah. Interesting, actually, just to like tag on to that, I have to give a shout out to... My f our friends over at WYEP, they did a an awesome um, tribute special, which they're streaming on their website, if, if you want to hear it. But um, they were telling this story about he was in college and was trying to make a go in the record industry, and he was waiting for this call back from this um, record label. And he was literally on his way to, like, it was like a final class or something like to, to graduate. He was literally on the way to this class for this final exam. And he got the call from this record album, this record label. And he just, and, and his career just, he just went that direction. So I personally would encourage kids to take the class, just get it done, 
take the test. But it worked out for him. Well, the Ziggy Stardust, uh, that persona, the one live album, and you see the video footage of this, is when he comes up and he goes, not only is this the last show of the tour, yeah. it's the last show we'll ever play together. Yes. And you see the rest of the band goes, shit, what? Huh? <laughs> We're done? That's beautiful. That was cool. Yeah. So then, then Aladdin Sane, which was a continuation of Ziggy Stardust. Oh, yeah. And he talks about the alter ego as Ziggy goes to America. So he that was inspired by the 1972 U.S. tour. Mm-hmm. And later he told friends that the character was inspired by his brother, Terry, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after all, this is something I did not know until leaving through stuff today. The name's based on the pun... A lad insane. I never knew that. A lad insane, and apparently his brother Terry was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Wow, that's that's interesting. The huh. next persona is the thin white duke. Mm-hmm. And that was at the peak of his cocaine usage, mm-hmm. hence the thin white duke. Mm-hmm. Who else? Well, that one was what the white shirt, black trousers. Yep. And uh, what was the year on that? Like, what what time period was that? That's about seventy six. Okay. And that's he's quoted as saying that, and during that time he lived on quote red peppers, cocaine, and milk. <laughs> Healthy. <laughs> so then there's a couple that I, even though I'm a fan, did not recall these but one is halloween jack which was bowie's first uh post ziggy persona um it was his uh eight studio album which great album diamond dogs yes and halloween jack's a real cool cat who lives in the declining hunger city so i had forgotten about that one uh and then you know in the in the early 80s probably about 1983 he came out as the cool dance dude kind of mm-hmm. 30-ish late 30s with yeah. modern love and the tie loosened tie and the overcoat and oh my god modern love and china girl one of my friends ranked china girl number one <laughs> he's no. my sarcastic friend i no. said i asked a bunch of my friends that are bowie fans and one sent back china girl number one but you know juice quite well from it was juice no juice oh. juice gave juice couldn't stop with just one so he sent me a flurry of text while we were doing we're, we're taping multiple podcasts today and while you and i were on the one podcast he sent a flurry of texts 13 or 14 of them describing his top 10 and giving me his rationale so we're going to read that a little bit later oh nice but another friend you know eric eric andrews had mm-hmm. uh, I don't know whether he's joking or not. He said China Girl was number one. So I don't. I don't. That was very like modern love. Like that whole. It was so poppy. Yes. It was entertaining. That was about the same time as the whole Mick Jagger dancing in the street. It was a little bit before it. Yeah. But what happened was you had on that album you had Let's Dance, which was very. You shut your mouth. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And you had you had China Girl. You had Modern Love. Let's Dance, six minute version there was an extended version i used to play when i dj'd <laughs> i could like leave i could go outside i could be the thin white duke yes so uh so 
and then uh, you know he did uh, what was it tin tin machine or whatever that uh, for a couple of years. But these are uh, intense to see all these. We'll have to put these on the show notes. I got to try to find. I will that do that. So then some of the other ones, the man who fell to earth, uh, not to be confused with the man who sold the world. So I guess in the 80s, we would just call him the shit since he was like pretty, pretty cool in the cool mode. But the biggest thing about all of those personas is that he was able to reinvent himself, come up with a big idea and focus on that core theme for that time frame. And that really is a lot about what we talk about at Mass Solutions with marketing. Yeah, so that would be, let's see, so we went through career path, personas, what he fought the bullshit and when he was the bullshitter. And I guess we're talking a little bit about the big idea. What do you, what's your big idea that you think of when you think of David Bowie? I think of my favorite song. What's your favorite song? Good City. Really? I love I told that's why I was telling you that th- like I can't I can't hear that song and not hold still. Meanwhile, like the the lyrics are it's it's one of those like the lyrics are actually really intense, but it's just set to this like really catchy it is beat. Intense beat. Oh, wham bam! Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's so good. Suzanne Mayer. Oh my gosh. The producer. Don't get me started. Of. The and No BS Marketing Show. It's also, did you know it was, that was one of <laughs> David Bowie's favorite songs? Did you know? Did you talk? Did you ask him that? Yeah. You guys were buddies? Yeah. <coughs> Do you want me to get to Gerard's text? Yes. Do you want to tell your Gerard story? You can't. No. <laughs> All right. So everybody has a friend that you go and refer to them by their nickname. I think I'm even that for some people because I have two nicknames from two different eras depending on whether which cr- crew of mine you were what? with. So like when I was uh, in my early 20s through my late 20s, I was Maz because Maz the DJ. Oh, yeah. But then throughout college, I was Masty, as, as was and is my brother. So we both get called Masty because my dad owned a company that was called Masty's. But my buddy Gerard, who I met in college, uh, his nickname is Juice. And like only about five people in his life call him Juice. They're the, the college buddies. And uh, so Juice and I would always try to put together a party that before anyone else did this, it was after the first Lollapalooza, which he and I were at. After the first Lollapalooza, we had uh, a party at Three Rivers in the parking lot called Mazapalooza. And no one was doing that yet. You know, like now everybody adds the Apalooza. And we were doing that the first year after Lollapalooza. And then we did it for like 10 years straight. And we would just like take over a section of, you were at a few. Of them. I were at was like there. Three or four That's of them. where I met Juice and so. So you met Juice, <laughs> and and uh, so Juice is my uh, partner in crime when it comes to going to shows. Probably have gone to I'm going to say for sure hundreds together over a twenty. Ooh, it's hard to admit that's a, over a quarter century. Well, wait. So did you ever see Bowie live? Yes, first time, 1983 Hershey. Second time, one of the earliest shows at Starlake Amphitheater in 1990. I think it was the third show at Starlake. I think I saw the 1991. And then at 1995, again, at whatever it was called then, Starlake, with your boy, who you went to college with, the guy who yeah. was a positive, upbeat guy, Trent Reznor. 
Yeah. Suzanne and he dated. She broke up no. with him. He became oh this cloudy, God. gloomy Morrissey wannabe. This is all. And Trent true. Reznor, uh, folks, Suzanne Mayer is this the one that made Trent Reznor. He was poppy. He was kind of like Barry Manilowish. This is so. And not so true. in 1995, he no. and Bowie played together. And I went that, to that was one show. of the collaborations. Mm-hmm. That was, w- and I should, I would put that up there as one of my favorite collaborations as well. Mm-hmm. And now Trent that Res- show was cold. It was freezing. It was October at night I didn't at see Star that. Lake. It yeah. was freezing. Yeah. It was it was unbearable. And Bowie, I don't know whether I call this no bullshit or bullshit. Bowie refused to play any hits. He played his whole new album at that time in '95. So imagine all of us going to this show. And we're there because we love Nine Inch Nails and Bowie. They collaborated for about six songs. And those ones were three hits by Nine Inch Nails and three hits by Bowie. So those six songs were worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. Trent Reznor opened, which was probably just paying homage to him because at that time, Nine Inch Nails was bigger. So they played, and they were good. Then you had the six songs together. Then Bowie went into his set and played all the new album. He didn't play Young Americans, didn't play Changes, didn't play anything. And at the time, I said that was bullshit. Well, he's an artist, though, and he really, like, he gets intense. He would get intense behind his work. Yes. So now back to my man, Juice. Go, yes. So Juice, a college roommate, friend, uh, huge sports guy, huge music guy, gone to hundreds of shows. He was with me at the 90 show, uh, our first, like I said, I think it was the third show at Star Lake, and he and I were there and all kinds of stories behind that, but I sent him a simple, simple uh, text to him and Eric Andrews, and Eric Andrews quickly replies, heroes, but then mm. then, uh, then, as, as Juice went through his, Eric chimed into the text string and said, just get to number one, China Girl, already. <laughs> so actually, Eric was, I'm sorry, Eric, he's, he's now listening. Eric was making fun of Juice, okay. saying that Juice would rank China Girl number one. <laughs> so I want to apologize to Eric Andrews. He's always the quick-witted one, <laughs> and he was ahead of me on that. But uh, so Gerard says, tough. Eric sends back up. This is a great text. I say, hey, guys, going to be doing a podcast later with Suzanne. Send me your favorite Bowie song. Gerard, uh, Eric sends, quick thought, heroes. Eric, he's made his decision. He's done. (laughs) Gerard says, Juice says, tough one for me. So many. Then the next text says, number 10, changes. Turn and face the strange. Okay. Talk about a multi-generational song. Yeah. If you were 16 in 1972, it was big. Yep. If you were 16 in 82, 92, probably even 2002. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Diamond Dogs, in quotes, he says, mannequins with kill appeal. Yeah. So Juice goes an extra step. He even gives you a, a nugget from the, the song. Well eight, done. Eight, fame, I believe, his biggest U.S. hit. That great beat. Isn't it You know what? Juice doesn't have fashion in her, but fashion's one of my favorite, even yeah. though it's pure dance beat. Yeah. Just really good. Uh, so then number seven for Juice's top ten Bowie songs, Ashes to Ashes. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have to search the SNL clip on YouTube. As a teenager, it was bizarre. <laughs> so he's remembering back to when he was a teenager. So oh, search the we'll YouTube. We'll link it. We'll put, the, we'll put a link in. Ashes to Ashes from Saturday Night Live clip. Gerard's teenage years, he remembers it as being bizarre. Yeah. Number six, he ties up with you. You're number one, Suffragette City. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, he says in the text. Yes, love. Now, after that series of texts, Gerard's six or seven texts, Eric then chimed back in, just get to number one already, China Girl. (laughs) 
<laughs> so again, I messed that whole thing up. Eric was actually quite witty there. Sorry. Okay, so number five, station to station. Um, here's his quote from it. It's not the side effects of the cocaine. I'm thinking that it must be love. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Number four, watch that man. The quote is, he talks like a jerk, but he can eat you with a fork and spoon. And then Juice says, I used to think that was fucking spoon, but it was fork and spoon. <laughs> it did sound like fucking <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this good. great? Aww. I said to him, can you call in for the show? And he goes, he I'll just text. Say. Oh my gosh, they would have been great guests. <laughs> Number three, heroes just for one day. Mm-hmm. Number two, rebel, rebel. <gasps> the remake ties Ziggy to the mature Bowie. Boy, it was teen angst before teen angst was cool. Another collaboration. Another. Uh, there's just so many. And then Eric Andrews texts, drum roll, please. Do we still have video of your bachelor party sing-along? <laughs> Wait, did you say? They're referencing mine, but then actually at my wedding, too. So then number one from Gerard Donahue Juice, my college roommate, lifelong friend. His number one David Bowie song is Young Americans. And he said this was the hit song at the wedding of the century. His vocal range is off the chart at my wedding. They all came out and we were drunk off our ass. <laughs> and the two different video guys come in and they get all of us. And we're all singing. My one buddy just stutters. He chokes. <laughs> he like goes to say something and just stops. And that's on video. And then this other guy just goes up. And in the middle, he says, um, it's the, the one part when he's talking about Nixon or something in the song. And my one buddy just goes, I'm not a crook. <laughs> Right in the middle of the video. <laughs> so it turned out to be uh, a pretty amazing thing. So those are those that are was good. Those are Juice's top ten. So I have to awesome, give a couple Juice. I have to give a couple of mine. Uh, at that wedding, Darlene and I Darlene's a huge Bowie fan as well. Darlene and I chose Never Let Me Down yeah. as our wedding song, which freaked people up because it's kind of medium tempo. It's a, a not really a hit. And at weddings, you're used to the slow, lovey-dovey song, like uh, Unchained Melody. You guys song at your wedding. Oh, my gosh. And I at, didn't know that. At that time, people were choosing, like, uh, Brian Adams, that one Brian Adams song, and then or Faithfully yeah. by Journey, or Unchained Melody when it remake and came out with Ghost. And you, nice. come, to our, you come to our wedding, and you hear, <laughs> <laughs> never let me die. <laughs> and it was, again, it was not slow. So we just kind of just whatever we want on the dance floor so oh so that's one that, that means a lot to me um i agree with my favorite is uh well let me let me give a couple of other ones uh with uh just some of the ones like uh teenage daydream things like that some of those songs were were great the man who sold the world really good ziggy like that one a lot uh just so many but I, I do go to Young Americans, just the the lyrics of that song, and one of my favorite lines that I vowed as a 20-year-old uh, is, we've lived for just this 20 years, do we have to die for the 50 more? Mm. And I stood by that lyric, and I still stand by that lyric. Wow, that's we've lived for just these 20 years, do we have to die for the 50 more? How many people give up? whether it's at 25 or 30 or 35 mm -hmm. and then just go through the motions and can't thank God it's Friday and the weekend's here. And I'm, and I've always just said, no, I'm not as worried about the vacations. I'm worried about a Tuesday in March. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about a Thursday in September because we 
don't have to say we've lived for just this 20 years. Do we have to die for the 50 more? That's why Young Americans is my number one. Beautiful. I love, yeah. That's awesome. Dave, that was good. Yeah. Are we we're still going for a minute. Oh, let me oh, think. Let oh. me think. Let me think. So, so I wanted to make sure there was what else did I want to cover? I had. I guess that is about it. So, oh. so a couple of things. H- huge marketer, huge marketer, huge messaging guy, lyricist, changed, uh, changes. Oh yeah, changes. That's another one that obviously Gerard had that I'd have up there. But the personas. I think that for for us as marketers. What we do for clients is we really come up with their personas, Mm -hmm. and that's what he did. He had those different personas, and I think that's one of the big takeaways. Rest in peace, David Bowie. Amazing man. Amazing man. Definitely. An artist. Just humanitarian, too. Like, I mean, just... Yep. We lost a good one. Hmm. So I guess we got to go with the clothes. I Take us out, top, David. I have to do the top of top of my head. I can't even remember it. I'm all frazzled. And I was gonna say it's kind of. I'm I'm not flustrated like some people say. Like this one announcer was talking about the Steelers Bengals game, and he said, "Well, perfect was frustrated." And you hear a lot of people say flustered. I'm not frustrated. I'm flustered. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess. Uh, the biggest thing that we close with is uh, if you haven't signed up for light reading, mm-hmm. go to MassSolutions.biz. That comes out every other week. It's marketing and messaging tips, and it really is light. It can be read in two minutes or less, and it just might trigger bright ideas for you. And we also like to say uh, show notes are at nobullshitmarketing.biz. No nobullshitmarketing.biz. Get the show notes today. We'll have Gerard's list up there maybe. We'll have some of these other things from the David Bowie episode. And remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your messaging around it. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.